Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Connor McSpadden. Hey everybody, welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. I'm Connor McSpadden. I just missed you taking a drink of water. I saw what you were doing. I'm off you're, my fucking game right now. You would have really hustled through your own name if you wanted to embarrass me. <laughs> but uh, alas, you did not. I should uh, pull up a clock so we don't get off track. Yeah, so we don't, we don't just start chatting like old hens and realize we've been in here for an hour and a half. <laughs> How's it been going, man? Good, dude. Yeah. Everything's uh, everything's groovy. That's good. Everything's groovy with me too. Things are going well. Adam's got his uh, super mom T-shirt. I do. I fucking love this shirt. Yeah, it's fun. Just co-opted it for my own. I had like a world's greatest grandpa T-shirt. I'd wear like I, I just go to thrift stores when I was a kid and just get like very specific like you know like the Gomez family reunion you know oh yeah T-shirt. I had a when I lived in South Dakota. The high school there was called Roosevelt High School. And I had a 3X women's hockey team T-shirt, <laughs> long sleeve T-shirt with the name Dick Meyer on back. Wow, that that I, I found at a thrift store, and there was no way I wasn't going to buy that. No, of course not. And I had a shirt from Walmart that said Fly Fish and Dad. That was one of my favorite <laughs> shirts for a long fucking time. That's a good time, yeah. So, welcome back to Mind Control Month, as if you had a fucking choice. Yeah, that's how mind control works, baby. No, we're not. Leave. There's no exit clause for mind control. You can't opt out. No, no. This is a subscription only episode. Last week's episode was about MK Ultra. So now, as soon as you see that email notification telling you there's a new post, you're gonna start. <laughs> you're gonna go ape shit at the post office. Exactly. Yeah. Ideally, if everything's worked as yeah. it was supposed to so far. It took months of rehearsal to get the script right to supplant <laughs> these uh, these cues in you. You thought it was all just stammering and bullshitting, but it was all very well curated <laughs> for the specific purpose of uh, creating an army of murderers. So yeah, this week we're talking about Wormwood, the Netflix documentary. I think I had that in the Navy. <laughs> oh! What? That just sounds like a... Like a <laughs> Like a seafaring STD, you know? Oh, yeah, that it does. Yeah. And I liked, I like on last week's episode, I speculated as to whether the title referred to the hallucinogen in absinthe. And even though I had seen this documentary series once before, I was like, I wonder if it comes up. <laughs> I watched it a second time. It comes up like 30 seconds in. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. it's one of the first things they talk about. You're like, yeah, I was right about that thing I already <laughs> knew. So that cleared that up. What did you think of this documentary? Uh, I think, like you said, it started off a little slow, but uh, it really does kind of build, and uh, it's pretty well done. There is uh, you'll you'll hear us talk about it, but some of the uh, the Shakespeare comparisons do kind of just like 
All right, man. Uh, you did, maybe just make this episode <laughs> 28 minutes, you know? Yeah, they keep flashing back to stuff. I felt like, I mean, the first time I watched it, I remember I got through the first two and a half episodes and I messaged you and was like, ah, it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched all the way to the end of the third episode and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, never mind. It's uh, it's it's pretty interesting. People need to know. What I think what threw me off is I thought I always knew kind of how this story went. And yeah. that's the crux of this documentary is you might think you you know the conspiracy angle behind this, but it's actually but there's kind of more at play than you would think. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a little bit crazier than that. Spoiler alert, Korea. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to we're going to go through the doc. If you haven't seen it, there's going to be some spoilers. You might want to watch it first. Yeah, or watch listen to this in lieu of one. Yeah, it's it's a six hour investment. You know, it's it's gonna take a big chunk of your day. And we're here to distill it down and make you a nice uh, podcasting sour mash version <laughs> of the uh, of the product. And exactly, you, know, that might, you can't you can't exactly watch Netflix while you're driving. I guarantee our version will be slightly funnier. Yeah. Yeah, I would hope so. Although there are some chuckles. I mean, I already had that great Wormwood joke (laughs) where I just did 1920s comedian voice and you just force laughed before you knew what I was getting at. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You won't find that on Netflix. You know, it's weird how people askew levity uh, when there's a CIA (laughs) assassination plots. It's like, come on, man. What's the point if you're not going to crack wise? This is in it's almost it's a documentary, but it's also kind of a movie. Like it's both of those. It's it's yeah, got a it's lot of kind of an extended dramatization. There's a lot of Peter Sarsgaard in it. Is that his name? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Sarsgaard plays Frank Olson, and then what a are bunch those of, those masks that they're wearing at the airports? The Sarsgaard. <laughs> hey. Hey. That was that was the least deserved air horn I think in unpop's yeah. history. I got that joke about halfway through the air horn going. I just it yeah, was yeah. like a courtesy. Yeah. Air horn. <laughs> You know, like when so, uh, uh, light screen, just a little toot, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, let's let's talk about the the first episode. the The subject of this documentary is Eric Olson. He's the son of Frank Olson, and we find out right away that his dad died when he was young. And he, they ask him at one point, "What were you told when your father died?" And he says, "He fell out a window." Correction, he fell or jumped out of a window, which that alone is weird. Yeah. Like I mean this 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 documentary really does open like Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. And like fell or jumped are two starkly different things. Oh, very much so. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what they set it up with. And we find out right away that uh in 1975 it was revealed that Frank Olson killed himself after secretly being dosed with LSD. Yeah. So they lead with that in the the very first episode. And I don't think they should have because that it feels like they're giving like the ending away and then they're going to Tarantino it to get back to how that happened. Yeah, I just do wonder if they were kind of like we need a hook here. Yeah, yeah, that could be. You know. And I, I think it does some disservice to it, but it could just be me and like, yep, I know that's what happened. Yeah. And just kind of writing the rest off. But there is actually more to it. Well, it's sort of like watching an old TV show on like I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm like, well, I know Data doesn't die, but I mean, I yeah. will, 
you know, let that go for the duration of this episode and be like, maybe Data dies. Wow. I mean, I hope not. It's he's what a Brent Spiner really needs these checks. And then oh, he's alive. Great. Yeah. You know, it's 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 like anything. So we uh one of the, the things they talk about pretty early on is the funeral of Frank Olson's dad. And or actually I'm jumping ahead. They they go into some details about this revelation from the government that Frank Olson killed himself after being secretly dosed. And what was interesting to me is it seemed like when MK Ultra broke, there was some bickering over the word massive. It yeah. was described as a and I think it's because there's a headline that they show in this episode where the word massive is in quotes as if the CIA was like yeah, we did it, but not that yeah, much. Yeah, what's massive, really, you know? <laughs> and I think that's probably because they thought they had eliminated all of the documents by that point. Yeah. Because remember, that, those last... Because that's, that's how we found out about it, was the misfiled documents. Right. And even just from what we saw from those, it was pretty widespread. Right. Yeah, it, it was huge. If you haven't listened to the MK Ultra episode... Go back and listen to it, and yeah. you'll know more about what we're talking about. It's a prerequisite. This is a, this is a mind control uh, uh, to 201. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Seymour Hirsch comes up in the first episode. He's a guy who, he's one of the more interesting subjects in this thing because he's an investigative journalist who seems to be like equal parts encouraging Eric Olson to look into this more, but also discouraging him from looking into it more yeah either at like at various points he either just kind of flat out disagrees with him or he's like you can look into it but the cia might kill you yeah yeah which that's that's a terrifying thing to hear i mean he's making a fair point <laughs> yeah you know and this first episode he writes an article that ends in the family holding a press conference like uh, how they weren't just all murdered at that point blows my mind yeah, I mean, I wonder if they have some kind of like, it's almost like a data cap thing with like, you know, families and murder. They're just like, uh, you know what? It's There's a big overage fee if we do two unsanctioned murders in one calendar year. So we're going to have to wait until the plane re-ups. Yeah. I maybe, I can, maybe I could try to murder them on Wi-Fi, but I don't know if they yeah. ever give me the password. Yeah, I hope it's just part of the budget. Yeah, like it's just not in that we have to wait till 76. I'm I forget. Sorry. I forget what TV show does. I think it might be Futurama where they're just they're like briefing the president like, all right, you get two murders a year. No questions asked. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, it probably is kind of like that. They're I'm sure it probably is just like, oh, man, the, the Stevensons. I mean, no one found out about them because we really blew our whole murder <laughs> cap for this year. I mean, if I was Secret Service or something, that's maybe something I'd just offer up day one. Like, hey. You're here now. Who do you want me to kill? Yeah, you just get, to show you I'll kill your one person just so you know I have your back. <laughs> yeah. And so I could blackmail the president with something later. Like if he ordered, I'd record it. I'm never going to be in the Secret Service. No, I met a guy who was in the Secret Service on 9-11. And it was funny. I met oh, this wow. guy. And this guy like works at this one of the many bars in the middle of, the, the middle of nowhere that I perform at. And I was just like... How did you end up here? Like, how did you go from the Pentagon, like, on the big day to this little bullshit farming town? It's so weird. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and he was did like... Did he have an answer? Not really. I mean, just like, yeah, baby, just kind of drunkenly like, yeah, that's life, you know? But it, <laughs> <coughs> it's a thing of, like, you forget these are just, like, normal dudes because you talk to this guy and he's like, ah, not particularly smart, not particularly, you know, put together, you know? He's one of these dudes who's like, yeah, I got a video game theme bar and... 
seven kids I barely see. And I was just like, wait, wait, wait back up. You got the 9-11. Go on. <laughs> yeah, that is that's interesting. I've never known anyone who admitted to working for the government. I've just known people that I suspected worked. Like my dad had this friend when I was a kid named I'm not even going to say his full name because I'm still sure he's out there yeah. somewhere in the espionage community. But we could <laughs> never figure out what that motherfucker did for a living. And he just kind of would pop up every once in a while and be like, hey, I need to stay here. But he also had a ton of fucking money. It was really weird. Yeah, yeah. He seemed like he he also had very strong opinions on the fall of the Soviet Union. At a time when most Americans didn't have a lot of strong opinions, yeah, yeah, like yeah. in favor of the Soviet Union. That's so weird, man. Yeah, I mean, I just don't like. It's interesting, not just in terms of like the, the geopolitical repercussions, but just like from an anthropological perspective, what that kind of role and responsibility will do to your psyche, like how how that molds the Play-Doh up there. Yeah, yeah, it's and and that's a thing you you think about a lot watching this documentary, like. The situation these people are like as bad as you feel for Frank Olson. I also kind of felt bad for the people who had to oversee killing him. Yeah, no, I mean because it's like, <laughs> what are you gonna? What are you gonna say? No. Yeah, then <laughs> you, you know? get killed. Yeah, like, it's like joining a fucking gang. I mean, I guess I guess it's your fault for taking the job and l- pursuing it. But I mean, maybe you didn't realize that was part of it, and by the time you're there, you're just like. Well, fuck. I mean, there's someone above me, and I gotta fucking do this. Yeah, I, I sometimes think the CIA must go after like the most idealistic government friendly candidates they can find and then just break them down when they get them inside i mean i think yeah you kind of have to have that be like there are people where it's like you know they're they're yoga is their god or whatever like people kind of have something that that's their thing that that's kind of where they get it and there are people that you know just have faith in institutions i mean less and less you know these days but i mean you find these folks and you, you have a process for weeding them out and you're like well, yeah, let's take that and exploit it because no one else is going to do this shit. Right. Yeah, and that, that kind of seems to be Frank Olson, which they they talk a little bit. One interesting thing that comes up, they, they uh, talk a lot about his funeral and Vincent Rouette. Vincent Rouette is one of the most important figures in this documentary. He was one of Frank Olson's best friends. He was a co-worker. Mm-hmm. And after the funeral, he starts showing up just to hang out with Alice Olson, the the mom. And Eric Olson mentions that mom kind of slides into alcoholism because Vincent Rouette would show up every day and drink fucking martinis. Yeah. And we later find out the CIA sent him there. They they wanted him Whew. to keep keep an eye on mom and make sure she didn't say anything crazy. Yeah. Which that's terrifying because up to that point they viewed him as a family friend, and he probably viewed them as friends. But then, you know, like the assignment comes down, it's like you got to go push the narrative in this direction. Yeah, you know, lubricate the uh, lubricate the uh, the movement with the uh, with the old martini glass, and then what a fucking job that would be! <sighs> My God, yeah, grieving grieving a wife liaison. <laughs> you know, it's so shitty, but you're just like. I mean, you, you got to figure the people organizing this whole cover up were just like, oh, we got it in. This guy's perfect. He's she's just going to think that he wants to come and tell yeah. old stories about Frank and then bada bing, bada boom. She's over it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it. Uh, so they they talk about. And God that. knows who was in those fucking martinis. We'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, for sure. At this point, they talk a little bit about Frank Olson's army career, and he started out as an agronomist, and at one point just gets recruited to participate in a biological weapons program at Fort Detrick. And they bring this up to point out how this guy went from, like, farm scientist to working on possible biological weapons, like, overnight. Yeah. And one of the the saddest things they mention is uh, the mom said she could tell when things went well at work that day because Frank would come home really sad because all the rabbits died. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was pretty fucking rough. (laughs) And... Like, imagine what that would do to you. Because being a farmer, like, like being a scientist interested in stuff like that kind of implies that you care about animals a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you're an agronomist, you probably just... Yeah, I mean, it's not quite like he's getting dressed in the morning by bluebirds a la Disney princess, <laughs> but, I mean, it's probably somewhat similar. Yeah, and now you're just killing rabbits for work. Yeah. Harsh. And we also find out that... Uh, the family never saw Frank's body after he died, which seems really odd to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, you fall out of a building, they were trying to... But it seems like that should be up to the family. Yeah, I feel like they've got, like, like just a tissue box full of, like, we murdered this guy and covered it up tarps where they're just like, yeah, grab one out of the box, like, and they're just, okay, that goes over him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> are you really... Sh-? It says, are you sure you want to see it on, <laughs> on the front of it in big impact letters? <laughs> So they they do a bunch of, at this point, dramatic reenactments, and we see Frank Olson getting dosed at the cabin in the woods. There's he, he goes on this work retreat, and this is a thing we talked about in MK Ultra. Yeah. He goes on this work retreat where Sidney Gottlieb, who just seems like a genuinely evil dude. Yeah. Uh, is kind of leading this retreat. And he does really have like a Marvel villain-ass name. You know, oh, yeah, like for Sidney sure. Gottlieb. Oh, he made the serum that turns him. And in the documentary, they get, I don't remember the actor's name, but he plays crazy people in every fucking role he's in. Yeah. Like, they nailed the casting of Sidney Gottlieb. Like, he talks weird. He's got a limp. He's a guy who's like what Andy Serkis is to motion camp. <laughs> this guy yeah. is to like... Yeah. And... So they're they're at this retreat and everyone gets their drinks spiked with LSD. Mm-hmm. And Frank Olson seems like kind of a bummer because everyone else is just like hanging out, partying, and he's wigging the fuck out. Like he's having a bad trip yeah. or something. And they don't go into a lot of details about what he did or what he said, but he just comes back from that retreat and uh, says he made a mistake. And that that's nothing worse than the vague and then I don't want to talk about it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And we don't really we find out later what that means. It, it becomes a really important line. Yeah. And toward the end we find out what that probably means. But up to this point, they just make it seem like he was given LSD without knowing and it kind of made him crazy. It yeah. sends him into a depressive spiral. And again, like knowing that you took a hallucinogen like that, you're like, "Okay, I'm going to grade my perception of reality on that curve 
and even in my intoxicated state, I am aware, and people will remind me that this is because I intentionally took these mind-altering drugs. But not knowing why that's happening, it's got to be the fucking worst. Yeah, absolutely. Like, any surprise high is a bad time. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, if you smoke, just even if you smoke too much weed and it hits you in a bad way, it's a thing you have to ride out. It's oh, not, talk to Chet Wild. Yeah, I mean. exactly. It's not. It's never enjoyable, and so that's kind of the the crux of the first episode. They they say the they basically say the CIA drugged Frank Olson and it uh, led him to commit suicide. And then they end the episode showing us him getting drugged. They they also talk about how after this press conference. This family was invited to the White House to receive a personal apology from Gerald Ford. Yeah. Which. You got to be like, could, could we have done this two years earlier or later <laughs> so I could have a cool president, you know, yeah, no apologize. Shit. It's like, oh, oh boy, Gerald Ford. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to hear Nixon issue his first apology of all time? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right. All right, uh, Adam, you're going to meet Nirvana. <laughs> uh, it's just Pat Smear's guitar tech, you know? <laughs> Like, oh, I'd still that'd be yeah. pretty cool, but I mean, yeah. Chris My first Novoselic question would doesn't be... seem like he's doing a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, what is he writing books in Seattle? Come on. <laughs> uh, one thing that was interesting. Did you notice the clock in the first episode? I didn't until you'd uh, you'd pointed it out here. Yeah, the clock. There's a clock really prominently over Eric Olson's shoulder during all of his interviews in the first episode, mm-hmm. and about halfway through, I realized this guy either talks faster than anyone in history or that clock's not moving yeah because it's always at 233 that's what time it always says on that clock yeah so if you watch this and Dude, didn't someone notice, is checking their phone right now and it's 233 as they're listening and they're <laughs> tripping out so i just want to say shout out it's 238 here we just missed oh wow <laughs> thank thank christ that would have been bad so that's the end of and at the end of the first episode is where the parallels to hamlet start which well, I, I did cares? not need that. Yeah, who yeah. cares? That, this does nothing for, like, this is not where we're watching this documentary. At the very least, this could have been five episodes without that bullshit. Yeah, right? You I did not you, need you it. You could have really cut some fat without all these analogies. <laughs> so, episode two opens with Olsen talking to Alice about how, Frank Olsen, talking about how the retreat didn't go well and he made a terrible mistake, like we just mentioned. And from there, they cover his time between when he comes back from this retreat and when he finally goes to commit suicide, yeah, basically. And uh, I don't know if you could see the gigantic air quotes Adam threw out his back uh, putting out <laughs> of that statement. Uh, they go to see a movie at one point, Martin Luther. Alice thinks maybe it was a bad idea. Judging from the clips in the documentary, I think she was right. Yeah. Especially if he was still on LSD of any sort. Yeah. Looks like a very intense film. You want to go with like a Thor Ragnarok or something <laughs> just fun and fun and flirty. That was a fun movie. I saw it on a plane finally, and I was like, this is great. How do they fit so much shit into this movie? I fucking loved it. It was great. It was, it was a good like time. It was like a comedy. It was so good. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, so at one point, Olsen, while he's back from this retreat, says he wants to quit his job. He goes into work to do that. And one of the creepiest moments happens. He goes in and talks to his supervisor. Uh, his supervisor excuses Sydney or excuses Frank from the room and then picks up the phone and just says, get me Robert Lashbrook. So who the fuck's Robert Lashbrook? 
we <laughs> we don't really find that out right away, but no. it comes up. But that scene was especially like oh, when yeah. that happened, you know something's afoot. He's not in HR, you know. He's <laughs> this is not the uh, the severance package liaison. <laughs> Definitely not. No, it's got to be a little more sinister than that. One of the things I found interesting was the Colby documents. They talk about this guy, I think it was William Colby, uh, had all of these documents pertaining to the death of Frank Olson that he gives to the family. Mm. And this is two years before that Freedom of Information Act where all the MKUltra documents came out. So I wonder what these documents were. Yeah, what they had, if anything, crossed over. Probably not because of the small amount of documents from MKUltra that actually survived due to that filing error. But it it is kind of interesting. And it, it at this point, it seems like the CIA and the government in general is being really, really open about the fact that they drugged this guy in an experiment and it caused him to commit suicide. And they're sorry. Yeah. And it's like the, I, th- I think the, the kind of the, the crux of the uh, assertion being made is like by them copping to that, it was that was supposed to be like, well, clearly this looks so bad that this has got to be the whole truth when in fact it was a you know this guy was asking questions and we killed him and pretended it was suicide because we drugged him you know yeah yeah it's it's a crazy story meant to hide a crazier story yeah basically and so at one point after he's been home for a bit they go he and alice go to drive to the office and when they get there someone comes out and tells alice that another agent is going to drive her home and that frank's going back to new york which, at that point, Frank probably knew he was going to die. Yeah, he can't, he's not thinking like, okay, well, this is a, uh, a, a, I'm getting a gold watch, you know? Yeah. Like, what are they doing? And even if the, the uh, official story that he was just drugged and freaked out and killed himself is true, he probably still had that thought. Oh, but yeah. Especially if the, the other version of events where he was murdered for knowing too much and threatening to say something about it. That part's true. He definitely knew he was about to die. Yeah, probably. But what do you do? I don't know, man. Like, I mean, you, what you, you going to fight against it? You know, yeah. you're going to bring more hell upon your family than's coming already. Just fucking kill the people trying to take you. Like, there's nothing you can do. <sighs> yeah. What a fucking situation. And it's like, well, do I either, you know, want to go <laughs> have this done on their terms, or just happen alone in my bed and with some like fake intruder they've cooked up, and when yeah. they brainwashed a homeless guy to come in and stab <laughs> me with an ice pick, like. Choices aren't great. No. And the first, they take him to a guy named Dr. Abramson, who's an allergist, which that seems like a weird choice, but yeah. it, it makes sense in the end. And this is a really weird part in the doc. Do you remember the experiment they did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On him, where they, he had Frank lay down and put like a lamp cover over his head and shined a light on it. And just asked him all these weird questions. And it just seemed like they did this experiment. He wigged out, and their solution was, let's do a few more experiments. I, see how it goes. It almost kind of seems like they were like, well, this guy is, uh, this guy is like done. He's, he's got to get out of here. We might as well get a little more mileage out of him experiment-wise. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or they were, yeah, I don't know. Or they were just trying to make him actually crazy yeah i mean maybe just to you know hey if you get you get a phone call to alice you're gonna sound even weirder yeah and so that happens and shortly after that they cut to the the news that at one point the family gets a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar settlement 
from the government for the death of their father. Yeah. And it includes Alice getting all of his benefits. Sidney Gottlieb gives a really backhanded line where he says, we'll make sure you get all the benefits your husband deserved. (laughs) And... It seems like a payoff. That's what Eric Olson took it as because it says, yeah, basically, it's a payoff. Yeah, yeah, they sign an agreement that they can't ask any more questions. Which it's like, oh yeah, no more further legal action. It's like, okay, I guess that makes sense for a sub, but no more questions. Yeah, like yeah. This, this woman's husband that's dead. This this kid's father that's dead. No more questions. And he's, you know, he basically hints that his mom just didn't want to know what happened. Like it's bad yeah. enough that her husband died. Like, is it going to make her feel better to know that his friend was complicit in his death? Yeah. And then came and babysat her for years after to make sure she didn't ask too many questions. And again, I mean, much like kind of empathizing with those with those dudes that have had might have had to kill him. It's kind of like, kind of get it. Yeah. You know? And, you know, maybe she knew. Like, maybe she knew that's what happened and it's and she's like i don't know yeah i guess i mean i'd rather have this money than not and i'll just yeah fucking whatever like i just yeah. want and in the most cia development possible not long after this settlement eric olson's sister her husband and their kids are killed in a small plane crash not long after getting that money <laughs> which i'm sure it's nothing of course i'm sure that is just a coincidence uh, they talk about uh, a bunch of stuff about Eric's collages, which I don't give a shit about. Yeah. But they do show one of them that has the clock or has the time set for 2.33 a.m. And they kind of hint that he did that before he found out that that's when his dad died. But I don't believe Yeah, that. I kind of don't either. And then even then, that's just what a, it's like what he's predicting the future now. What are you saying here? Yeah. So So then the rest of the episode is about uh, the rest of episode two is frank at this hotel where he eventually dies the weirdest part to me they get back to the hotel and vincent ruette says here have some of that whiskey the doctor gave you the show doesn't start for another hour so he was given whiskey by the psychiatrist he had just seen. Yeah, which was almost undoubtedly laced with LSD. That's like this is like some 1830s ass medicine. Gave, take some of that whiskey yeah. the doctor just gave you. What? Like what psychiatrist says? Oh, here's what's gonna fix your depression. Whiskey. Booze. Yeah, yeah. That never happens. And but Frank drinks it. Yep. He, the he, Civil War dentist gets them all fixed up. <laughs> he gets right at it, and then they go out to a, a, a show, and Frank freaks out while they're at the... It's like a play or some shit. Yeah. And Frank starts Man, imagine, wigging out. Imagine having the last thing you get to watch before you die be a play. Oh, I, I would can be I, so angry. Can I at least just check out Pulp Fiction one more time <laughs> or some porn or something? Like, can I, can I play a video game? Like, so, of all the things to have to choose as last entertainment, a fucking play. Yeah, a play or an opera would really bum me out. Maybe that was the trick. We're going to get or him drunk and bored and then... Hockey. Oh. Hockey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to watch any of those things when I'm dying. No, I think he was at this play just like, oh, my God, throw me out a fucking window. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And uh, so that's that's kind of what they cover in episode two. And episode two does feel like it's really drawn out. The first three episodes feel like they could have maybe been compiled into one. This, I feel like this could have been a banging two-hour yeah. doc. Yeah, it 
it's a lot to get through, and that part is frustrating. But the story, especially when we get into episode three, right near the end of episode three, really picks up. Yeah. And it gets interesting. But at the end of episode two, Vincent Rouette gets a wake-up call at 2.30 in the morning, which I feel like that part did not happen. Because as we'll find out in terms of how the murder happened, you're not going to ask for a wake-up call from the front lobby three minutes after the murder yeah. is supposed to have happened. Yeah, right. Uh, or No, actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was uh, Lashbrook calling. Who the fuck? No, Rouette was in the room with Frank yeah. Olson. I'm getting ahead of myself. but yeah. And I think it's Lashbrook who gets the phone call. But I thought it was weird either way because... Yeah, the other suspicious guy gets a wake-up call. Yeah. <laughs> just, I just want to make sure you're up for the murder. <laughs> but either way, did they not... Were phone records not a thing you could trace back? I mean, maybe they weren't. Like, wouldn't the hotel yeah, have well, known... I don't know if you could... It's, I mean, unless you've had testimony from, like, the uh, receptionist or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there would be, like, a, yeah. a record of that because this was all in just fucking wire days. So one of the dumbest things I've said in the podcast. <laughs> Back in the wire days. The wire days, you, you know, see? The two thousands before we knew good television, really. So yeah, actually I think it was Rouette calling. And uh he calls Lashbrook to say that Frank has disappeared. And Lashbrook says he has to report Frank's disappearance to the security office. And at that point you think he's dead, but they find Frank just hanging out in the lobby. Yeah. But after they make that call to the security office, everyone's getting watched, basically. And mm-hmm. the security office is coming. The security office is a crazy concept in this. Like, they, I don't know if I put it in the notes, but in one episode, they basically say that the CIA is made up of like really smart types. Like, people like me and you would be probably on the investigative side of the CIA and not so much the murder side. Yeah, like, they make this. We're sec- too. We we got too we, too many follow ups. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> do we really want to do a, a, a piano wire for this? You know, I <laughs> yeah. I feel like ricin would be better. Just hear me out. <laughs> yeah, we would overthink it for sure. Yeah, I mean, I had this problem working at Ross Dress for Less, where I'd be like, <laughs> well, I mean, if we're gonna do stock right now, I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to expedite the customers? And they'd be like, shut up and move the boxes. And I'd be like, oh, I forgot, <laughs> I'm a slave. Like. So, yeah, the the security office, they imply, is basically the murder wing of the CIA. <laughs> and they they be, the way Which they put it... sounds like it, a Pokemon attack. <laughs> it was Pidgeot used murder wing. The way they put it is that these the agents at the time could call the security office and say, this guy's a problem, and the security office would go, okay, we'll come take care of it. And nobody ever talked about why. It needed to be done or how it was going to be done. Mm-hmm. They would just say, all right, we'll be here at this time. Yeah. Be ready. And you know, like the tow truck driver in Blythe where he's just right. like, God damn it. AAA sent me out at two in the morning. And this is this is the United States. Mm-hmm. Like this is the United States running a basically a police organization that murders dissidents. Yeah. That's that's what this builds up to. And. That's that's terrifying. Dissidents that they, you know, I mean, this guy will dip into this later, but it's like the big issues here are of your own creation. You know, right. it's like yeah, they, we put the pets down and we also microwaved the pets. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they, 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 they did both of it. So they got to have a cleanup department. Yeah. 
So they call the security office, even though they do eventually find Frank. And this is when we're really introduced to Sidney Gottlieb. We had seen him up to this point. Yeah, he's more so just kind of alluded to. Yeah, but now he's really in the picture. And they mentioned that Sidney Gottlieb, who keep in mind, as we mentioned on the last episode, was the head chemist on the MK Ultra program. They also, in this, suggest that he was linked to attempts to kill Patrice Lumumba and Fidel Castro. Yeah. And this is a quote from the documentary. So to say he's involved in the assassination of Frank Olson isn't much of a leap. I agree with that. Yeah. They call the security office and then Sidney Gottlieb shows up. <laughs> well, actually, I think we find out Sidney Gottlieb was there the entire time. Yeah. Like he was just kind of a. Uh... Just there. Oh, to f- I was just. I was just here to see. You know, my fair lady on Broadway or whatever. Yeah. What this seems like to me is them taking one more shot at deciding if Frank is really going to be a problem, or if there's a way they can fix this. Like, just a couple more days to monitor him. Yeah. Before they murder him yeah yeah just kind of like let's just double check you know he's did some good killed a lot of rabbits for us yeah you know either that or they were just kind of laying groundwork to be able to deny murdering him by going to all these places and saying he's crazy we got to take him to new york he's crazy we got to take him to new york everyone would be like yeah he was really depressed and he was crazy and then he jumped out that window when they got to new york yeah but either way, scary. It's really fucking scary. Oh, totally, yeah. What? I mean, this is like the dude, you know? Yeah. This is the Nick Fury of mind control <laughs> killing people. And MK Ultra, they, they touch on a little bit. Uh, they mentioned that Gottlieb and Lashbrook were both at Frank's funeral, or they were at least on the funeral registry, which is harsh. And then they. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah. You know? That's like, uh, all right, all right, uh, easy. One, uh, Suge Knight here to see you. <laughs> It's a lot like that, yeah. And they cut to, at this point, the family going to see Lashbrook in 1984. And Robert Lashbrook, this is when we find out Sidney Gottlieb was in New York the entire time Frank was there. Yeah. And up to this point, the family had been told that Sidney Gottlieb was back in D.C., I believe. Mm -hmm. And Lashbrook lets out that Sidney Gottlieb was there the whole time. So that's the thing that really sends Eric Olson on this path down. Like, this thing consumes his entire life. Oh, yeah, of course. Which, that's not surprising. The government killed his father. Like, murdered his father. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, if, if you're going to looking for a drum to beat, you know. And it seems like with them being as open as they were... In, that, that it was their fault, at least to the extent that he killed himself because he was crazy because they drugged him. You right. Know, they seem to be pretty open about that. And I think that made it easier for him to go public with everything else. Yeah, and be like, they, I mean, they'd already made the settlement and all that yeah, stuff. Because at one point, they like this builds up to them attempting to file criminal murder charges mm-hmm. against the CIA. And, man... That probably would have gotten him murdered if not for the fact in the 70s they were so open about, hey, sorry we accidentally killed your dad. Yeah. Like, you can't hardly kill him now. Yeah, I mean, this that's, that's, that's at a point where that uses up a lot of that murder data. You know what I mean? Like, how badly do you want this story to go away? And it's not a story you hear a lot about. I mean, we're yeah. just finally getting a Netflix documentary about it, what, 32 years later? Yeah, it's it's crazy that this wasn't bigger news. 
Like the, I don't remember hearing shit. Like I've, I'm I mean, old a lot enough. of this, this guy doesn't even come across as particularly crazy. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Like he seems really, like he he seems like a guy who's convinced his dad was murdered and he yeah, wants to yeah, find yeah. out what happened. Like there's nothing crazy about him. And I'm old enough that especially as he gets into like exhuming his dad's body and filing these lawsuits. I'm old enough that I would have heard that shit in the news. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I vividly remember the fucking Iran Contra hearings. Oh yeah, and that was like eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. So I would have remembered if this was really big news, as it should have been. But it wasn't reported on. But it wasn't because yeah. I mean, there's even more of a bottleneck of of disseminating information back right. then because we didn't have the internet and things yeah. like this. Yeah. So it. Uh, and again, this is also kind of like a. Uh, like a real, like a real murdery sweet spot, you know, because it's just yeah. before Freedom of Information Act, you know, like just, and it's just like, yeah, this was kind of like you kind of got it in under the wire, right? You yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's like it's like people that are born just before they had their entire life history, and you know, them saying the N word on MySpace could come out. It's like it's kind of like that, but with murder. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like it all happened at a time when our government was like, so those Nazis, if you take the Jew stuff out of it. <laughs> Maybe they were on to something. Very efficient. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now we know what happens when you put boiling water into a person with Down syndrome's brain. <laughs> it's exactly what you would have thought, but now we know for sure. But at least we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so around this time, they also directly ask Vincent Rouette if Frank Olson was considered a security risk. He refuses to answer the question. So I assume he was considered a security risk. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to not answer that question if the answer isn't yes. So they go to Seymour Hirsch, that same investigative journalist who wrote that first article. He makes a bunch of phone calls and says the consensus is that the CIA would not have killed a colleague in 1953. And that's the episode, guys. Thank and you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. It has been real. Follow us on the socials. Uh. <laughs> but then he also sa- uh, tells Eric that he is smart enough to know he shouldn't go digging around in this story. <sighs> That's like the fucking... It's always the most upsetting part when there's these kind of people in the middle of you. Yeah. Know, it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm talking to the guy down here who's looking into it. I'm talking to the guys up here who knows what's going on. And he's just kind of like... Let's just stay in this comfortable gray area. I mean, do you what, what you need yeah. a piece of paper that says they did it? I feel like you know what happens. Like, let's just all, let's just take our seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars and shut the fuck up. You know, and that that's kind of Seymour Hersh's plot line in this because at the end, like he gives these interviews, basically saying, "Yeah, they murdered his dad, and I have seen evidence of it, but the person who showed me the evidence, like, I can't reveal it without." giving away that source, yeah. which will probably get that person killed. Yeah. And it's this, it, I mean, I know we're jumping way ahead to the end, but it's a really frustrating ending. Yeah. Because you want to see that evidence, you want to hear from that person, but he just repeatedly keeps saying, I can't write the article because I can't verify the information without putting people at, at risk. risk. Yeah. But he basically confirms without confirming that, the CIA executed this guy. He gives you the I'm not touching you kind yeah. of fucking <laughs> treatment. So they go see Sidney Gottlieb. Gottlieb, the first thing he says is uh, how the old him did things he's not proud of, <laughs> but that the new him can't really remember them because he's disassociated himself from that old him. Oh, man. Yikes. It's, yeah, the, the high school boyfriend, Sidney Gottlieb, <laughs> weighs in to say, 
I'm really sorry about summer, but I mean that's summer. That's summer, Sydney. All right, this is back. This is school's in session, Sydney. I'm a good boy. <laughs> Trying to get my GPA up, go off to school. What a creepy thing to say. Like, yeah. just say yes. Just say yeah. We murdered him. What are you gonna do about it? Yeah, just kind of just be like, give him a look. You know, like. <laughs> And then walk this... out of the room and shoot yourself in the head, like in a movie. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how this is supposed to end. Yeah, you found me. So that your shoot kid, yourself that your right kid can know him. how this guy's kid feels, <laughs> and countless other kids exactly. who, who didn't have enough like uh, enough initiative to get a documentary made about their dads. Who, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I used to work in geology, <laughs> and then I made rock golems that were designed to kill Jews, and then I fell out of a window. <laughs> so this, they they do a lot of. At this point, dramatic reenactments of the agents. Like at one point, they try to take Frank home, and he's still. They decide he's still too sad, so they stop at Sidney Gottlieb's house, where of course who could cheer him up better, you know? And the implication is that he's given more LSD at this point, because remember he starts like dancing around in the living room, and he does a handstand in the living room. Yeah, 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 and. And it's like this is I mean, you've you've dosed enough people, you've gotta see that this is not how it works. You know, right. like yeah, let's send him back into the weird psychedelia matrix so he can like fix himself. It's kinda like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they were just kind of trying to make him crazy enough to just kill himself. Yeah. And I think eventually they ran out of time and just had to murder him. Yeah, and his spirit was too strong and they're just like, Okay, well. Yeah. And so Frank and Lashbrook go back to New York. Vincent Rouette goes home. And this is where things get really interesting near the end of episode three, because we find out Frank was convinced the U.S. had used biological weapons in Korea uh, during the Korean War. Yeah. And we see all of these videos of U.S. soldiers confessing to dropping chemical weapons on people, which since then, like, that's kind of what the Manchurian candidate is based on that's yeah the government coming home from war yeah. yeah and the argument when these videos actually happened was the government was saying oh they're brainwashing our boys and making them tell these lies yeah but were they yeah <laughs> like, i mean again, were they or did we drop chemical weapons on korea easier than killing a bunch of you know soldiers is just to make them look crazy like right. with all these things and we're fresh off of having dropped the first atomic bomb in the history of modern warfare, depending on what conspiracy theories you believe. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Am I supposed to believe we wouldn't drop chemical weapons on Korea? Yeah, no. In I'm, the 50s? Mm, yeah, that's, or the 40s? Sounds like us, you know? Yeah. And Nixon and Eisenhower in, in, in the White House? Yeah. And it, it's, it's fascinating. Like, there's one soldier who, one of the videos, he says, we dropped a bomb that was a dud. And what it actually was was filled with this biological agent, which we find out are bugs they dropped insects on korea is basically the theory yeah and that this spread all of this uh I, I don't remember what disease they were spreading but that's basically what we find out is that frank olson found out about this and was really upset about it yeah maybe that's and allegedly yeah. yeah but i mean it all kind of tracks like i wouldn't put a past us i mean this is exactly the kind of impetus they'd need for killing this guy oh yeah for it sure. all seems to be there and a, a thing frank olsen said to his boss at one point is brought up can't i just disappear 
And <laughs> at the time, like at the beginning of the documentary, if you hear that, you think, well, he's just depressed and sad because they gave him this LSD and it fucked with his head. And then you hear it in this context and it's like, do you have to murder me or can I just disappear? Yeah, can I just can I just work at like a like like a better call Saul, <laughs> like a Quiznos sandwich shop somewhere yeah. and can just I make just... thirty two thousand dollars a year and tell my kids <laughs> to shut up? Like So this episode ends with Sidney Lashbrook getting up and going to the bathroom around two thirty in the morning, and at that point it sounds like someone comes in the room. He's sharing a room with Frank Olson. Yeah. Uh, separate beds. Just a couple dudes out, you know, making a theater <laughs> trip to New York City. <laughs> Nothing weird about that. Yeah. So that's how episode three ends. And cut to episode four. There's more Hamlet references, which fucking stop it. But they also do a really quick thing with the night manager at the hotel, Statler, which is where Frank Olson died. Yeah. The night manager who was working at the time this year you just go by the comedian. That's weird. <laughs> he said that Lashbrook told him, quote, I heard glass crack and he went out the window. This night manager is convinced this is a murder. Yeah. Which, so am I by this point. And one of the craziest coincidences I think I have ever heard in my life happens early on in episode four, where... Eric Olson is talking to a friend of his about how he wishes he could dig up his dad's body and examine it to see if the things that happened to him, like if there's any evidence that he's being lied to. Yeah. And the friend just casually says, hey, you know Jim Stars that we went to school with? He exhumes dead bodies as part of criminal cases. It's <laughs> what he does for a living now. He's famous for it. Yeah, it's like when you see those weird Facebook posts, you're like, yeah, I need a guy who specializes in, uh, in Arizona vehicular law. And it's like, oh, yeah, what? You? Really? Oh, I got a guy. The guy I sat next to in history class? <laughs> and so, yeah, they decide to reach out to Jim Stars, Eric's old childhood friend who digs up dead bodies for criminal cases, and they exhume the body of Frank Olson. And Eric talks about seeing the body. And if there's any part in this where Eric Olson seems a little weird, it's in talking about the dead body. Which, understandable, I guess. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but he points out, he says he touched the skull. But since that revelation and the silence that followed it wasn't awkward enough, he also adds that you could, quote, even make out the penis. Not, like not the jawbone, nothing. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, did did, did they club him on the dick, thinking like <laughs> no kid will want to look at their dead dad's dick to see signs of forced trauma? But what's interesting is the body. The point Eric's getting at is the body is shockingly well preserved. Yeah, for having been buried this long, like it's not just a skeleton. Like there's still some skin and things on it. And they're able to determine that, for one thing, there's no signs of the body going through glass. Yeah, which is... Which, if you dove through a window... You're going to be tore up. Right. And what that implies is that someone broke the glass out first and then jumped, which he could have done also. Yeah. But there's also a hematoma on his forehead that the medical examiner claimed was from him going through the window. So if you hit the window with your forehead and go through, you're going to have 
glass that's going to come into contact with the rest of your body. Yeah. So one so of he those broke two it with things. his forehead and then yeah. threw himself out. <laughs> right. You know? And so basically, Star goes on TV and says Frank Olson was murdered. And this is the part that really blew my mind and makes me think we should do this for the episode. Eric Olson hears about CIA assass- assassination manuals and just calls someone at the CIA and was like, hey, are those a real thing? And can people see them? And they're like, which one do you want? <laughs> and they send him yeah. all of these assassination manuals. And in one of them, it says the preferred method of killing someone is to drop them out of a window and that you should, when the authorities arrive, say you left the room and that when you came back, the person had gone through the window and you have no, you just play the distraught friend who was there when someone committed suicide. And and you don't even send him one and he's like, where's page 31 and 32? You know, (laughs) you got it all in there. Yeah, he like he specifies what he's looking for, and they just go, "Oh, you want the first one?" Oh, yay! So not long after the CIA publishes its first assassination manual about how a great way to kill a person, they also say you should strike a blow above their right or left eye to incapacitate them first, mm-hmm. and then drop them out a window. Yeah, which is exactly what it That's looks like happened here. Exactly what fucking happened to Frank Olson. Yeah, and that. That's what the rest of the documentary becomes is looking into whether this was or not even looking into just discussing the fact that this wasn't like a by the book, you know? Yeah, it wasn't the CIA drugging someone and he went crazy and killed himself and they did an oopsie. They fucking assassinated this guy. And the implication is that it was because what what I think happened is he took LSD and turned into a fucking peacenik and was like, man, what I we're can't doing do this. You know, in I the gotta, war is wrong. Like these fucking chemical weapons in Korea yeah. are no good. I mean, these rabbits didn't do anything to anybody. <laughs> you know? And at that point, like, do you, you, he knows too much. Yeah. To, for I you mean, to you goofed. You made a bad hiring call. Yeah. Like, and then also, you shouldn't hire people and then LSD the shit out of them. Lesson learned. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it... It seemed like once I heard that, I was like, well, the documentary could be over right now because that's like that's uh, that's clearly what happened. Mm -hmm. And it from there, like episode five, there's some really crazy shit. For one thing, we find out that one of the people they took him to see, in addition to Dr. Abramson in New York, was a magician named John Mulholland. Yeah. And their their reasoning for this was when you're questioning reality, nothing better than a card <laughs> trick. <laughs> and that's the thing they they were like, well, we their reasoning for this or the official explanation was, well, we thought it would cheer him up. And then we find out John Mulholland also wrote a sleight of hand manual for the CIA <laughs> about how to spike drinks without anyone seeing it. Oh God! So. I get the sense that Frank was just watching so hard and mm-hmm. was like, don't you put anything in my drink. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. were like, let's take him to Mulholland. He'll get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so funny. It's like, if you're going to, if you're going to d- go on this entertainment trip to New York City, you're just like, well, he's already on the payroll. I mean, this will really cut out some of the, some of the uh, accounting, uh, you know, work on this whole assassination. Yeah. It's like, you can't even see a third party magician. 
Yeah, and it it's it's such a like from there the rest of the the documentary is just them kind of talking about this being a cover story. Like it I feel like it did get a little long. The Seymour Hersh stuff which we already brought up happens in episode 6, which yeah. that's there's a whole lot on that and it is interesting hearing him talking about his source and what he may or may have not heard. But basically Seymour Hersh confirms that this was a murder. Yeah. This was an execution. Yeah, and so many carried words, out by the CIA. Like, hey, can't, you know. And he blow also up my spot. He also hints that it wasn't just a one-off thing. It was just a program we had in place to deal with dissidents at the time in the United States. Yeah. Which uh, what are the chances that's not happening anymore? Like I mean, yeah, I mean it's at this point, it, I'm sure the program has evolved. I mean, because this, oh, for like, sure. looking at it in retrospect, seems a bit sloppy, you know? <laughs> yeah. I wonder what it's going to be. I wonder what we're going to find out it is, you know, in our time right now, what the kind of uh, standard operating procedure for, for taking someone out of the system is. Yeah, I don't know. Probably, like, sexual abuse allegations <laughs> or something. Maybe. You're just like, yeah, enjoy your new free self-driving car, courtesy <laughs> of the CIA. <laughs> So, yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot more we could go into, but I don't want to give the whole documentary away, uh, especially not the interesting episodes, which are (laughs) episodes three through six. Yeah, I did like it better the second time I watched it. The first time I like I was in Wisconsin and I was probably smoking a ton of weed and just sitting on my mom's couch like as a good conspiracy buff should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really. uh, That's that's really recharging the batteries. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I just wasn't as into it. But the second time around, I liked it a lot more. Yeah, I dug it. It was uh, it was kind of a little up and down. But I mean, uh, at the end of it, it, it all felt pretty worth it. Yeah. So people should watch it. That's that's Wormwood. Yeah. It's uh, I've, uh you know, let's uh, let's be aware of uh, Eric Olson's uh, struggle here because it's an important one. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think they make a pretty convincing case that this was probably it definitely makes me want to look into us using chemical weapons in Korea. Oh yeah, a lot more because, because I mean, yeah, just a weird fucking dropping a suitcase full of bugs. Because at one point they bring up nine eleven, and I'm like, shit, did we do nine eleven to cover the fact that we murdered this guy <laughs> in the fifties? Yeah, I mean, like it just keeps going down this rabbit hole. It's like every like every like did, wait, did the, so you cut off your dick to so you, she wouldn't find out you got herpes because you cheated <laughs> on her? Like it's one of those things. Where it's almost yeah. Just like, at a certain point, she'd be like. Oops, you know, yeah. and we'd be like, ah, why you? And then like, we'll eventually get better, but it's always just like, oh, fuck. Like, wasn't there coming some... over in six minutes, Adam? <laughs> yeah, I think it just, like, especially with that assassination manual out there, yeah. like, it would be hard to go, yeah, but just him. We just murdered him. No, just this, just this After one guy. that, we realized it was a bad idea. Yeah. But it's not because we still don't know anything about chemical weapons in Korea. This is how I'm, this is how I'm looking at the CIA going forward with this show is that the CIA is just a bad boyfriend. Yeah. You know? Yeah, kind of. Got into this, wanted to do the right thing, and then it, it fucks up and it just keeps like, you know, leading you on and making you feel crazy for looking into it. <laughs> a manipulative boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. So that's Wormwood. Everyone should go watch it. Uh, when the fuck does this come out? Weeks from now. Yeah, weeks. Sometime in March. What do we got to plug? This is this is a free episode? I think we said it was Patreon when we Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Patreon Patreon. only. So 
Don't worry about subscribing. You already do that, baby. You're already in the know, kids. Hey, call our voicemail line. We're going to start taking voicemails on our episodes like we used to. 505-386-7677 or 505-3-on-pops. For the love of God, specify what show you're calling about. Man, love those voicemails. They're fucking wild. Always so much fun. Yeah, it's a I'm great time. Looking forward to getting back into those. And uh, what do you got to plug? Oh boy, I'm going to be on tour all over the place uh, with the Mean Boys podcast, doing stand-up live podcasts. We're going to Wisconsin, Chicago, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philly, D.C., and New York City. All throughout the month of April. Tickets for that are on MeBoysPodcast.com. A couple dates for myself personally. I'm going to be in Austin, Texas, headlining the Velveeta Room. Really cool little comedy club run by some great guys. That's happening in June. The exact dates of which escape me. And uh, right here in Southern California, I'll be headlining the Ontario Improv for uh, my Adam Todd Brown birthday without Adam Todd Brown Spectacular, March 20th. Uh, go on my Twitter and grab some uh, free tickets for that. That'll be a lot of fun. All right. Let's get the fuck out of here. Connor, say goodbye. Peace, guys. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed.